And I hear some children crying, some crying a little loudly. I don't want you to be alarmed, parents. It's a good thing to hear children crying sometimes in the church. It's a good thing to hear the sound of children in the congregation of the people of God. And we're going to see that even tonight as we look at the text that we will be looking at as I preach this evening. Advent is wonderful. Our text this evening is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this evening. We pray that you would open our eyes according to your spirit. We pray that you'd open our hearts and open our ears and cause us to do your will. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When my oldest daughter was a toddler, one of our favorite things to do was to lay on the ground under the wondrous silk tree that had branches spread across the back corner of our yard. In the spring, it would flower and hundreds of hummingbirds would come and feed on its nectar. And my daughter would look in awe at this great and simple wonder. This evening, we shall look upon the greatest of wonders as we see Advent wonder. Advent wonder. And we'll see in Luke's gospel, Elizabeth's wonder, and then we will see Mary's wonder. So first of all, let us take a look at Elizabeth's wonder. Go and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. And it says there in verse 39, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Notice this here, it says, in those days, these are days of wonder. Days of wonder. The backstory on that is this. The angel Gabriel had spoken to Zechariah. And Elizabeth wondrously conceived. Elizabeth, who was barren, wondrously conceived. Now, if you don't know the story, here's what happened. Zechariah is a priest. And in the first century, it's very hard to figure out whose lineages people have that are according to the tribe of Levi. And so what they would do is they would have groups of priests come in from the priestly tribes, priestly households and clan. And they would come in and they would draw straws. And one group of priests would go into the temple and serve. It wasn't unusual for a priest to serve one time his entire life inside the temple. So as Zechariah is in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him that his wife, who's barren, is going to have a son. He's going to be a great son. He's going to be one who's going to be a prophet. He's going to run before the coming of Messiah, and you're going to name him John. And it happened just as the angel said. Then the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. And possibly to Joseph, because Joseph had an angel of the Lord come and speak with him. And they as well received a wondrous message, and it came to pass. Mary would wondrously conceive, though she was a virgin. And so in the midst of all this, Mary went to see her cousin, Elizabeth. She was told by Gabriel of her wondrous conception. And so we pick up the story here as Mary runs to this town in Judah. Going on to verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. An occurrence that should cause us to stand in wonder. An occurrence that should cause us to stand in wonder. Now notice this. If the mother is filled with the Spirit and the child is in her womb, why do we assume the child's not filled with the Spirit? For indeed, we will see that he is 
filled with the spirit in his mother's womb. Gabriel's message to Zechariah was given in the temple, and it forms a prophecy which is then fulfilled here in our text this morning. So when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah in the temple, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this. So the angel Gabriel is speaking, and he says, For he, speaking of John the Baptist, his son, that's going to be born of Zechariah's barren wife, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine and strong drink. You see, he's going to be a Nazarite. This is a person that's set apart takes a vow as a holy warrior priest, but John's going to be one for all of his life. He's going to join a very special group of people. Samuel. Samuel was one, and also Samson. And he will be filled, notice this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Even from his mother's womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do we see here in our text in Luke chapter 1, verse 41? The baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, going on to verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now Elizabeth here wondrously knows Mary is bearing Messiah. How does she know this? There's no indication in the text that she had prior knowledge of this. She prophesied by the Spirit. The Spirit filled her. And as the Spirit filled her, the Spirit filled the baby John that's in her womb. And she prophesies by the Spirit all these great things. You're blessed, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And you are the mother of my Lord. Going on to verse 44. And behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Do you see that? The baby wasn't just moving around. We look at this and we go, well, probably the the baby was moving around in his mother's womb, you know, as babies tend to do. But it says here, this woman is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And she says, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from her Lord. Now, Elizabeth here brings the advent of wonder at God's Broad and extravagant grace. John the Baptist leaps in faith as a baby in the womb. You know, I want to stop here and camp on this for a second here. In this season of Advent, something's presented to us. And it's this. Children are not superfluous in the kingdom of God. Kids, you're not unnecessary in the kingdom of God. Parents, little children are not superfluous In the kingdom of God. And when you look back across the Old Testament leading into the new, you'll see some astounding things. Things that go against what we think as rational, Western, lift ourselves up by our bootstraps, Americans in the 21st century. Going back to Psalm 22 and verse 9, we hear these words from David. David says this, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. David says, I knew you because you knew me, Lord. You knew me way, way back before I was born. And as I came into the world before I could even begin to talk rationally and do all the things that we think are necessary for faith, we see that David already knew the Lord because the Lord already knew him. And Jesus... When he grows up 
And he enters his ministry, says these words in Matthew 19 and verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom belongs to us, brethren. And the kingdom belongs to our children. Kids, the kingdom belongs to you as well as the people of God. Can I hear an amen to that? When I was about 12, my family went on vacation And we drove our van across the British Isles, and we stayed at a campground in Wiltshire. And when we arrived at the campsite, in the last shards of daylight, we saw a great wonder. Something I'd seen in books and magazines numerous times. Stonehenge. It was wondrous to see such things. When Mary came to visit Elizabeth, she saw the greatest of wonders. Here was a virgin who conceived a son by the Spirit of God, and even Elizabeth's unborn son saw that he was Messiah. All right, let's move on here. We've seen Elizabeth's wonder. Now let's see Mary's wonder. Mary's wonder. Let's continue on in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And it says there, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's this young teenage girl from an obscure place in Galilee. The backwoods of first century Israel. And here she recites what is known as a canticle. Have you ever noticed how sometimes the Psalms are called the canticles? A canticle. What is a canticle? A canticle is a scripture-based him. We see them all over the Bible. You see things like the song of Deborah. You see the song of Miriam and the women by the seashore when God destroyed Pharaoh after the Red Sea was parted. We sing one in our service here. We sing the song of Simeon, the song that Simeon sang or recited when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ being presented on the eighth day. He saw the Lord and now he can go in peace. And that's why we sing that song after we take the Lord's Supper. Because we as well have seen once again that the Lord is good. So here she has her canticle. And it opens and follows in the substance of the canticle of Hannah. Hannah also sang a canticle. Hannah. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. Hannah was also a barren woman who then miraculously and wondrously bore a son of promise. Now notice this. Because these words have deep echoes Deep shadows of what came before with Hannah's song. Hannah conceived wondrously, but she gave her son to God for the life of Israel. Now, if you don't know about the story, if you need to be reminded of this, Hannah's son was born, Samuel. She raised him till he was weaned. She created a special set of garments for him. And then she took him over to the household of Eli, the priest. And there he ministered in the temple and he acted as a priest in the house of God. So Hannah wondrously conceived, but she gave her son to God for the life of Israel. And this was at the time of the cusp of the kingdom, on the very cusp of the kingdom. Samuel will be the one who anoints the first kings of Israel and sees Israel united as a great kingdom, Saul and David. And so Mary here, following in the footsteps of Hannah, Mary conceived wondrously and must give her son over to God for the life of the world and the kingdom comes with him. Going on to verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This canticle is called the Magnificat. Why is it called the Magnificat? Well, if you look at verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Translated into Latin, it is Magnificat. Why? Because Mary declares the Lord is great. Mary takes her wondrous and honored place among those who love and fear the Lord. Now, have you ever thought about all the barren women in the Old Testament? It's really quite astounding. In fact, this is quite astounding. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all the wives of all the original patriarchs, their wives were all barren women who miraculously and wondrously conceived. Then there's Hannah. And then there's a mother of Samson who's not mentioned by name. And all these intersect and go forward and are fulfilled in Elizabeth and ultimately in Mary. Going on to verse 51. She continues her song here. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These wonders show that God is absolutely, completely merciful. And he's absolutely and completely just. Now, contra the world, God will do what God will do. Kids, God will do what God will will do. And it is always good and right. It is always good and right. And something else I want you to notice, what Mary says, God is not cheap and God is not arbitrary. You know, we think God's cheap, don't we? We always think he's going to give us leftovers. Somehow or another, we got this idea that God's sitting in heaven and he's arbitrarily shooting lightning bolts down on us. And that he always gives us whatever's left over, and he just does things whenever he feels like it for no particular reason whatsoever. But that's not how God acts. God always is not cheap, and he is not arbitrary. He sees, he protects, and he provisions his people lavishly. Let's go on to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. All of God's wondrous promises find their place in Mary's Magnificat. God remembers his promises to his people. God remembers his promises to his people. And what does that mean, God remembers his promises to his people? Ultimately, it means that God remembers his people. God remembers his people. God remembers you, and God remembers me. And he keeps his promises forever. Notice this here. It says, the promises he spoke to our fathers... To Abraham and to his offspring forever. We've got Abraham brought into the scene here. The Abraham covenant comes into view. And what was it about the Abraham covenant? Do you remember what it consisted of? It has has three main promises in it. Way back when Abraham's nothing. And he's off in a far end of the world. God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heavens. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm also going to be your God. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all these things begin to burble in the background in a far corner of the earth. And Israel becomes a great nation of millions, and they go down into Egypt, and they're in slavery. And then God brings them out, and he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he gives them his Mosaic covenant. He gives them his law, his household rules for the people of God. And then God brings them into a good land flowing with milk and honey. 
But they're constantly fighting amongst one another and they're divided up. And then God brings them together and he brings them under a good king, David, and gives them the Davidic covenant. I will have a man from the tribe of Judah, from the household of David, will sit upon his throne forever and ever. And through the circuits of history, through all the trials and all the ups and downs and through exiles, all the way down through the good and bad kings of the state of Judah, all the way through the exile, down through Zerubbabel, down to Joseph. And then Jesus comes, just as God said he would, fulfilling all the covenants, bringing them together in the new covenant. And here stands Mary on the edge of this Ultimately, it comes to full fruition in the wondrously miraculous baby that Mary is carrying. The God-man is adventing. And he will grow up sinless. Will live a perfectly obedient life to suffer for us on the cross and to rise from the dead for the life of the world. Can I hear an amen to that? In Dostoevsky's novel, The Idiot, the guileless Prince Mishkin floats like a perpetual child through life and says of the restlessness that he sensed at such times I felt something was drawing me away and I kept fancying that if I walked on a straight line far, far away and reached that line where the sky and earth meet, there I would find the key to the mystery. There I should see a new life, a thousand times richer and more turbulent than ours. The wondrous life The wondrous new life that Mishkin spoke of is consummately found in the advent of Jesus. Where earth and sky, heaven and creation, and this age and the age to come meet. And it is ours in him. Stop and wonder this Advent season. Wonder at God's love and sending his son in human flesh to live, die, rise from the dead, and then to ascend and to come again in the final advent. Luke's gospel has shown us Elizabeth's wonder and Mary's wonder, as we've seen this evening, Advent wonder. Sully Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Advent and the sending of your Son in his first Advent, but we also long for the final Advent. So in the season as we prepare for the incarnation of your Son in Christmas in remembrance of that We pray that you would help us to look back and wonder upon the first advent of your son and to long for his final advent. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we've heard from the Lord through his word. Let's respond back with our tithes and offerings, our tribute to the king.